Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Hurts with pressure coming. Steps away. Now it's picked up. Hurts nobody open. Hit as he throws. Wobbler over the middle. It's caught at the five and into the end zone for the touchdown. Olamide Zacchaeus. 14 to the Rams. Burrow in the gun. Second down six. Shotgun snap. Hand off to Mixon over the left tackle. Place the tackle. Turn the five. Break the tackle on the four. Into the end zone. Touchdown. Cincinnati. Joe Mixon. Another Monday night, another doubleheader, sort of, simultaneous, overlapping, picture-in-picture, spoiler alert, two games at once. When you have two Monday night games, you have none. Although, although, once the first game finally ended and full focus and attention could be devoted to the second game, Christopher, it got better. (laughs) It got more enjoyable. I guess it's better that way. Like, let the crappy part of the overlapping game happen when both games are being played. Then when the first game's over, the next page in the script says, let's make the, let's make the only game left a little more interesting. Cause it was, it was, I, I disagree with some of the things the Rams did down the stretch, but it still was a much more entertaining game than I thought it was going to be between the Rams and the Bengals. And that's where we're going to start today. It's Tuesday. It's PFT live. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Yeah. I mean, Hey, listen, I, you know, again, I'm, I, I don't mind it. I, I like the action. I like the seven o'clock start of the game. The one thing I don't get now is that I'm watching both games. One's on a laptop. Okay. So now the overlap starts to continue. And what I, what I would like to tell ESPN is that, I'm watching the game on the computer and it's a few seconds behind and you're showing me the game before it's actually happening for me. And I have a screen and I'm 43 and it's 2023 and I know where the other game is and I know how to flip channels and do everything. Work the internet is crazy. 
So, like, that was annoying a few times where they'd give a look in and I'm going, well, I'm kind of paying attention right here and I missed a play now because they've already showed it and I'm a play in front or behind there. Uh, I didn't love that, right? But other than that, it was a good viewing experience. That was a common complaint that I noticed last night, that when they would go simultaneous two games, one screen, the other game would be ahead of what people were watching exactly. if they were separately watching right. the game. Right, And that – there's just, look, I, why do you keep saying this? Because they keep doing it. There's no reason to go simultaneous view. There's no reason. Unless this is part of some effort to bootstrap the ratings together. People have been asking me, why does ESPN and NBC I don't get it either, actually. do this? Why are they doing this? And I don't know whether they think they can get some combined rating that looks better. I just don't get it. I don't know why the NFL wants to do it. I would prefer Monday, Tuesday, or Monday, 7 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 5 o'clock, 8 o'clock. Sorry, folks on the West Coast that would have a game start at 2 in the afternoon. But I don't have a problem with two games as long as I can watch both games and as long as the broadcaster doesn't do things that make it more frustrating, not less frustrating, to have two games on at the same time. Rant over until they do it again. I think they're only doing it one more time this year. Okay. And one of the reasons that people should complain if you don't like it, don't just take it, don't just shut up if you don't like it, because if enough people complain, they'll stop doing it. They'll just stop doing it. You know, they used to do I thought that would have happened after o'clock. last week. Yeah, well, they've already got it locked in for the season. Oh, so you're talking about that part. this season's okay, experiment, that they'll just stop doing two games on Monday night that overlap. Let us enjoy one game at a time. After having this constant overload of information all day Sunday, which we're used to, it's the way football's always been, where you've got a bunch of games going on at once, let us just enjoy our one game. Let us just do that. So maybe they will, maybe they won't. Doesn't matter. Last night, first game enjoyable if you're an Eagles fan. Second game enjoyable if you're a fan of football but not a Rams fan. Bengals win 19-16. And let's start there. And obviously, the big question going into the game and the one that hovered over the entirety of the preparation for the Bengals was whether or not Joe Burrow was going to play. And if he did, how would he look? And at the end of the day, he played. There's a risk that was assumed, a conscious risk. In order to avoid 0-3, they're willing to put him out there and just not have him do much that would potentially cause further injury to the calf. But the real risk, Christopher, was – that's twice now I've called you Christopher. Wait, that's three times. The real risk was he's going to make it worse. This isn't a situation where it's like, oh, he can't do anything to make it worse. No, he can. He can make it worse. And he's out there playing. I was surprised at the end of the day that they went through with it, and my guess is Burrow really wanted to do it. And when you're just giving the guy – a huge pile of money, and he wants to play, who are you to tell him not to play? Yeah, I mean, it's a huge game. He feels the pressure of that situation. Uh, he, he does. As a competitor, of course you do. And, and of course, he, he's pretty aware of the backup quarterback situation that's kind of underwhelming there in Cincinnati as well. So there, there's a lot of things, I think, that play into that. And then, yes, being a MVP candidate, being on a team that's a, supposed to be a legit Super Bowl contender, and the fact of the pressure of, oh, my gosh, we could start 0-3, and, man, that's going to be a big mountain to climb back up of. So, yeah, it, you know, it's what you talk about all the time. It's guys, it's, it's, they, they want to play. That pressure is, is used against them and, and usually by themselves, just in the fact that they want to compete and be great and whatever else. So, uh, hey, 
that's where you start. You're just happy that he didn't get hurt again, re-injure it, right? I'm sure it's going to be sore a little today. He's not totally normal. You could tell by that. He was reluctant to move. You could tell he was even reluctant to push off that leg sometimes real aggressively, even to throw a ball and put a little extra mustard or oomph on it. So this is something he's going to have to manage, I, I mean, really, for for the, I don't want to say the short-term future. It's probably going to be the next four, five, six weeks we're going to see stuff like this on his leg when he's off the field and the sideline and just, you know, good for football and good for all of us that he stayed healthy and, you know, hopefully they can keep it going. But, see, that's the challenge. It can only heal so much between games. No matter what you do between games, and it's going to limit his practice time, it's going to limit that, the offense. Yep. It's going to make them not more predictable per se. It's just less that Joe Burrow can do. So what will defenses do now? They're not going to be worried about Joe Burrow moving out of the pocket or running the ball so you can deploy your 11 defenders in a way that takes into account this guy's not going to try to do anything like what we would see from Patrick Mahomes or, or Josh Allen. And from time to time we see just like that nifty little sudden quick movement Burst to the left, burst to the right. Yeah, run if he's the a slippery there. SOB, That's, as I like to say. Right, yeah. You don't have to worry about that now. He's no. not slippery. Right. He's not slippery because he can slip and slide right into a serious calf injury if he pushes it too far. How much can it heal? How much will it heal? Especially when you got now a short turnaround for their game against the Titans this weekend. Let's have a listen to Burrow on balancing that risk of re-injuring aggravating, making it worse versus avoiding an 0-3 start to the season. Here he is. All the stuff that you weigh when you're making that decision, do you, you know, there is there is risk to, to go out there and uh, potentially re-injure it, but there's also a risk to go out there and be 0-3. So um, I, I wanted to be out there for, for my guys, and, you know, I was confident that I would be able to do what I needed to to, to get the win. You go 0-3, not only you know, obviously, a lot, lot of, lot of football left to be played, um, but zero and three sounds a lot worse than one and two. And uh, morale is probably a lot lower when you're zero and three. So, um, it's a big win for us. Good to get on the board. I think we'll be able to put a, put put some together now. You know when morale's lower than zero and three, when you're one and two and your quarterback has a ruptured Achilles tendon. That's when morale is lower. And I'm not suggesting that that's one of the risks that Joe Burrow is assuming, but it's all down in that same area. So if you do play and you do make it worse and you're out for several weeks, and even if you somehow win the game, it's a much different vibe. And and they ultimately know what they're doing. But Chris, you've said this time and again, the level of medical expertise for the average NFL team, not what most of us would think it is. And there are some some things that happen, decisions that get made that would suggest that, that you know, maybe this isn't the ideal situation. Maybe this isn't the right decision. Maybe we're not doing the accurate and, and the thing that's in the best interest of the player long term or the team, frankly. Sometimes you just roll the dice and you go. And I feel like there was an element of that with the Bengals, we, an element of we're just going to roll the dice and go and see what happens. And there were a couple of moments where they're like, mm, you know, did he step funny? Did he get kicked? Because he's going to be out there in the fray while he's playing through this thing and trying to make it better. And, and as Jake Glazer was explaining it on Sunday, he did say it's a serious injury. It's not yeah. some minor little thing. Like he's got a real calf injury that isn't just going 
to, to magically disappear. It's going to take time for it to heal. And if he's playing, it's going to take longer. So this is something that's going to hover over the Bengals at least until their bye week, which is coming up after the next three games. Yeah. And no, then after that, it's yeah. still going to be a question because re-injury is going to be I, – I think it. there's a good chance it's just an all-year thing for the Bengals. Yeah, hopefully you could get to the bye week without re-aggravating it significantly, get to the bye week, have a week off completely, be careful getting ready for that next game after the bye week, and you could go, oh, it's about as close as to 100% as you can be here down the stretch. And, you know, like you said, it's tricky injury, so you got to be careful. You know, but, but the, like, you know, he, he referenced it there. Yeah, the 0-3 thing in an NFL locker room, it's real. I mean, you, you, that's, that's when you really you feel the building stinks when you're 0-2. When you're 0-2, it's like, oh, no, we don't know what winning feels like. We haven't tasted that. And everybody feels the pressure in the building. And you could feel it coming from the coaches in the front office. And as a player, you feel their pressure. And it makes everything more intense. So he was very aware of that, as he said there. And then on top of that, I think we're talking about, hey, it's the AFC. Hey, oh, Cleveland's pretty real. We lost to them. Hey, Baltimore, we know they're going to be good and in this in the end. Oh, we lost to them too. So I think there's the fear of falling too far behind. And that and, and they, they'd like to, I think, play one of these AFC championship games at home and have Kansas City or somebody else come visit them once, one time. So I think all of that played into to what we saw last night. And, of course, it wasn't pretty. I mean, you can't sit there and go, oh, it was pretty. Like, hey, I give him a lot of credit. It ain't easy to play and, and even be as good as he was when you don't practice all week, you haven't really practiced all training camp, right? But at the same time, it doesn't look like the Joe Burrow we know, like when he's 100% healthy. That was like just get it done, Joe Burrow. And, and then I added on top of that, you see the offense last night. You know, the offense, is it's okay. We got something going. But, I mean, I'm not ready to, like, write home and be like, oh, whoa, watch out. The big play Bengals are back. 49 dropbacks and 259 yards. Whoa, 65 yards rushing by the running back. Uh-oh, they're back. No. I mean, think about the telecast, Mike. I mean, the offense needs to do more. We watched the Dolphins on Sunday, and you go, look at that. Does that look like anything – that's creative, what we saw last night, right? And that's where it's got to pick up. I mean, Orlovsky did a segment on, look, they moved Chase to the left and then to the right, and then they put him in the slot. And it's like, that's big news for the Bengals, but for the rest of football, it's like, duh? Like, you're supposed to do that, and you're supposed to move him around a whole bunch more. So they got some work to do still on that side of the ball because it wasn't pretty last night, and they were supposed to beat the Rams at home. Burrow was very efficient early in the game. He was like 9 for 12 at one point, but yeah. they weren't really moving the ball no. in big chunks. Right. Then then things started to sputter, and there was some groaning, not quite some of the booing that we've heard from other fan bases at halftime of these games where the offense isn't doing what the home team's fans think that it should, but you could get a sense that there was kind of like some yeah, restlessness in Cincinnati. Definitely. Yeah. And, and then – and then it all just kind of woke up. And one of the reasons it woke up, and one of the reasons they even had a chance to wake it up, the defense played incredibly well yep. last night. The Rams could get nothing done in the red zone. They were 0 for 10 at one point on third downs. They eventually converted one to end up 
one for 11 on the night. But the defense really saved the day by throttling the Rams repeatedly when they got close to getting a touchdown. There you see a sack on first and goal from the four. They end up with a field goal there. And all night long, Matthew Stafford. And you know what? When I saw Matthew Stafford on the sideline after the game, and and I'm a firm believer that he never says much about when he's hurt, when he's hurting, what's hurting. He processes it. He deals with it. Last night felt like one of those nights that he's going to be a little bit different moving forward and not going to know why. Well, it's because he's nursing one or two or three different injuries that no one knows about, including the team. It just felt like one of those nights that we saw it against the Seahawks. Stafford's healthy. Holy crap. Once Stafford starts getting banged up, that's when it starts to go the other way. And I just feel like last night may have laid the foundation for that. We'll see how he plays going forward. But he got banged around hard last night, repeatedly last night, by that Bengals defense to the point where it just felt like, and it was getting really loud too. You could see the Rams weren't processing in the second half. And, and you know, third and long, draw play. Third and long, draw play. They weren't even trying to get guys open down the field because they weren't going to have time. Exactly because right. Because that defensive right. front was swallowing up the Rams blockers, a theme that dates back to last year. It, exactly. That, that's, that's standard protocol for Matthew Stafford's life right now dating back to last year, like you said. I mean, last week was assault by the, the 49ers. If they can't get the ball out quick and find little ways to Pakua Nakua and Atwell and whatever else and get the ball 5, 8, 10 yards, and then every now and then, like you saw last night, they catch you in a defense where you're worried about stopping some of those shorter intermediate routes, right? And then, boom, okay, we hit 2-2 Atwell down the field. But – you know, that's few and far between. They can't do it consistently. Why? I mean, one, they, they can't run the ball, so nobody's scared of that. Two, like you said, they can't create enough time back there to, to give a guy like Matthew Stafford, who has a, still an incredible arm, to, to make anything happen there. But, like, you you know, that's the bright spot of the night, for the Bengals at least, the fact that they're D. Yeah, their D has, of course, got some big-time potential. We know that D line's good. Those linebackers are good. They got two, you know, they got some young guys in the secondary who I don't know have played their best the first two weeks, but they played damn good last night. We saw Dax Hill on that safety there. So that's the positive thing. And they're going to need that. The defense is going to have to continue to play like that because I don't look at it and go, ooh, they're close to turning the corner here and getting back to the big play. Bengals are explosive. Like, it was a nice start. There's something positive there. Sure. But. You know, again, I think you go through a lot of houses in America right now, and you'd go, name me one other guy on the defense other than Aaron Donald for the Rams. And people would go, um, in, uh, uh, eh. right. So I'm not ready to anoint the Rams like the Rams Super Bowl 79 defense here yet or anything like that either. Uh, but this Bengals defense, it's, it's got a chance to be really, really damn good. We know that. And they're going to have to hold down the fort just to help Joe Burrow heal and get this offense, kind of get their feet underneath them here as the season goes along. They really did overwhelm the Rams' offensive line. I think by the time Joe Noteboom ended up back at left tackle, it was Trey Hendrickson versus Noteboom, and it was, it was ugly. And oh, it was sudden. It was ugly. And it was right. like he had no chance yep. to even stop Trey Hendrickson, and Matthew Stafford had no time to do anything. I want to focus on one thing, though. Well, before we do that, let's, let's check the box so we can say we let you hear from someone other than us. Bengals coach Zach Taylor praising 
the Bengals' defense after last night's 19-16 win over the Rams? Well, it starts really with the defense. The defense set the tone first in the first half while the offense was trying to get their feet underneath them. Um, you know, and so to hold them to what six points at halftime, I think it was, and then allow the offense to go out and, and start to get some momentum and play with a two score lead. Um, that's the type of football game we're used to playing. Our defense kept us kept us right in this thing, and one and eleven on third downs, uh, the two interceptions, the how many sacks, five or six sacks. Um, that was outstanding. The run defense I thought was outstanding as well, which which you know was understated because it forces them into those situations they got to throw it, and that's where you get the pressure. So I thought Lou did a great job dialing up pressures at the right time that put these guys in good position, and uh, that was a, that was a great job by our defense today. Yeah, absolutely, and that's what the Bengals are going to need as Joe Burrow continues to heal this calf injury on the fly. The defense needs to play well, and the balanced teams are the ones that tend to find the most success over the long haul. you got to have an offense that gets it done. you got to have a defense that steps up. And to your point on the offense, they did use a lot of Jamar Chase last night. He had his biggest game of the season. But you're right. Is it some sort of revolution? The clouds part, the stone tablets are handed down from on high, that you're moving your best player, one of the best receivers in football, around? Right. Of course you move him around. Right. He's one of the best players in football. You don't just line him up out left and say run a go route every play. You use him in different ways because he gets open, he makes the catch, and then he makes things happen once he has the ball in his hands. So I agree with you. It's like they acted like the Bengals discovered plutonium last night. They just opened their eyes. Yeah, yeah, that, that's right. I mean, yeah, I wasn't trying to make fun of Dan Orlovsky or anything like that. I'm, I'm making fun of the, 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 the fact that he had to point that out himself. He was right to point it out because the Bengals don't do any of that. I'm pointing it out because, yeah, it's like, come on, what are you talking about? Tyree Kill, we watch him every week. He's running around, moving around. They stack him. They put him in a bunch. He does a cartwheel. He goes in motion. I mean, he does everything. You watch Bengals film, mostly it's Jamar Chase just sitting there like you're talking about, outside, outside. And then, okay, so they move him around. They got then good. I mean, that's a start there. And, of course, it created some matchups and got him the ball in space a little bit and got the offense and some rhythm going there. So that's the positive thing. But they're still way too good and too talented to be like for us to be having these conversations. That's where it's just got to go up another level, in my opinion. If they want to win the Super Bowl, I mean that that's what they're trying. I think they're holding themselves to that standard. I mean it can't be just the Jamar Chase show, which twelve for one forty one is nice, right? But again, it doesn't like blow your doors off for the one of the most explosive receivers in football. But within that. Every piece of energy was exhausted to get him the ball, and they can't get T. Higgins or, Ty- or Tyler Boyd the ball after that. So that's where, just to me, the offense has to continue to push itself there. It is hard when your quarterback's not playing and starting there. And like you said, it's going to have to be on that defense here to hold it down, which they did a great job last night. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal 
and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. (laughs) Well. Ooh, yeah. That happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. I need to issue a mild correction of what you just said. They did get T. Higgins the ball. The problem is, well, he, he was Chubbs last night. He was a little Chubbs hand. last night. He definitely was. He had a rough night. Certainly, like, I mean, what was it, two, three blatant drops, right? I mean, it was in his own head. But this is where I'll go back, and, and this is to me, because as you're watching the game, I'm going, well, damn, yeah. I mean, he doesn't see the ball for periods of times. He didn't see the ball much in two weeks. They're all out of whack. They're out of whack. And then you want to add on top of that that he probably didn't get to catch a football from Joe Burrow all week either until pregame warm-ups. So that's where, you know, there's a lot of work to be done there. And, and like you said, the defense early on holding the Rams out of the end zone and, and making them kick short field goals, that was really one of the big parts of the game. And Zach Taylor alluded to it, that that, that game didn't get – Oh, Rams up 14 nothing, and now the offense really has pressure on them to make some plays and do some things there. Uh, so, yeah, the Bengals' D saved the day. Think of the difference in the mindset, Chris, if the Rams had managed to right? get a two-score lead. They don't call 2-2 out well out of bounds, who's a right? statue. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you've got a quarterback who's a statue. You've got Aaron Donald and others coming after him. That thing, that's how 40 to nothing happens, folks. 40 to nothing doesn't mean that this team that won is dramatically better and in a different stratosphere of the sport than the other. It's just a couple of things happen early and then the dam breaks because it becomes much easier to defend that offense. That's where the Bengals ended up with their defense once they got the two-score lead and the Rams couldn't do anything and Stafford couldn't get away from the pressure and they couldn't keep the pressure away from him. That's what would have happened to Joe Burrow. He would have had no time to do anything. But they hung around. They found some spark in the running game. Joe Mixon's numbers, as you said, weren't great, 65 yards, but he was running hard with purpose, effectively getting first downs. There was one play where he just kind of willed his way. There were a couple times where he willed his way to a first down, scored that touchdown on second and third effort. That's what the Bengals needed to have a complete team effort in order to win the game. Here's the second and sixth play that just popped for the touchdown. He had other just kind of hard-nosed runs, guy who just kind of pulled into the line and pushed the pile and got to where he needed to be. That's what helped the Bengals with no touchdown passes last night from Joe Burrow. Look, I don't know how much stock to put in the passer rating stat, but it's the only stat that's been around for as long as I've been following football to give us an idea of what a quarterback is doing. And it used to be that 80 or 90 was pretty good. Now all the good quarterbacks are over 100, over 110, frankly. Joe Burrow last night was 59.8. There no touchdown go. passes, one right. interception. It's a combination of completion percentage, yards per attempt, touchdown percentage based upon your number of throws, and interception percentage based on your number of throws. And they they 
put it in a formula and they give you a number. 59.8 is bad. That's bad for an NFL quarterback today as it relates to his overall passing efficiency for the night. He distributed the ball. They made things happen. They woke up after a slow start. But you take away that mobility, that threat of moving around, that ability to extend plays, and he's not the guy that he ordinarily is. So good for the Bengals to have that total team effort and get the win over the Rams. Before I pivot to something I want to say about the Rams, I, I, I got a funny email from our good friend Mary, the Eagles fan who lives in Atlanta. Oh, yeah. She's upset we didn't do our 10 minutes of BS at the top of the show. Hey, blame it on ESPN and the NFL for giving us two games that we have to talk about. We got a lot to do. This is one of those 10 pounds of crap in a five-pound bag show. So we, we didn't have time to BS. I barely had time to make that point. Okay, what did you think of fourth quarter, just over six minutes left, Rams have fourth and five in their own territory, and they're down 10, and they punt. To me, that's the old, let's not make this look worse than it's going to look in the newspaper move, where 19-9 to could become 22-9 to or 26-9 to if you just give them the ball back there because you don't have faith in your offense to gain the five yards. I, so you yeah, punt. Yeah. And I mean, because at the end of the day, what it come to, Hey, they got the touchdown. Well done. All right. You showed that you can score a touchdown, but they can't know re- who can recover an onside kick. They like, if you're going to pin your hopes on an onside kick recovery, you're already screwed because the chances of that working out the Rams, they said last night, haven't recovered an onside kick in 11 years. And this new rule that they put in a few years ago, and they try to tweak it to no. It's too hard to recover an onside kick that that should not be part of your analytics process. You have the ball down 10 with six minutes left. It's fourth and five. Whatever the formulas tell you, whatever you think is the right thing to do, if the other option is, well, we can still score, get an onside kick, and score again, just throw that one away because you ain't getting the onside kick recovery. It's not happening. You got the ball fourth and five. You're down 10. You got enough time to score and get the ball back. If you can stop them once, do that. Well, I, that was my thought. What did you think when, well, they, yeah. when they decided to punt well, down 10 with six minutes left? I, well, all right. So the, when, when it happened, I was sitting there going, okay, wait, are they, they going to go for it here, fourth and five? I mean, the offense, as we know, had really sputtered at that moment, right? They weren't, they weren't capable of doing anything there for, I don't know, it felt like at least a quarter, a quarter and a half to that point where you went, man – they got nothing going on at all. Like you said just a few minutes ago, they couldn't protect him at all. They couldn't run. 2-2 Atwell big plays had disappeared. You could tell that wasn't going to happen. So I thought, okay, wait, are they going to go for it? And then, you know, if they don't get it, just go, hey, I hope we can hold them to a field goal and it'd still be 22-19 there. Well, uh, you know, okay, they they did that, but they probably looked at it there and just said, well, what's the chances of now us scoring two touchdowns to try to win the football game? So I think they took the approach of, hey, wait, our defense has been pretty good tonight. Their offense, it ain't been pretty. We were cl- we've been close a few times tipping passes and things, and the ball's got in the air, and we didn't intercept it. So I think they looked at it and said, let's see if our defense can make one more stand here and maybe make a play or whatever, and we could get the ball back and maybe score quickly and Stafford can make a big throw and maybe have a little wiggle room. But, yeah, you're still going to have to kick that onside kick because if I remember correctly, right, they were, they were uh, what, maybe had one more timeout still when they punted that ball? Maybe I'm wrong. I'm, 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 yes. Yeah, right? They had one, one left. More. One left. Right. 
So I, I'm guessing. All the more reason to keep the ball. Yeah. You've got the ball. It's fourth and five. It's not fourth and 15. It's fourth and five. That's a makeable, that's a makeable down for first down. It is. It, the Rams, it's, Sean it McVay, sure. high-powered offense, greatest show on turf 2.0. I know they don't have, and I'm being sarcastic because they're not what they were two years ago, but it's fourth and five. And we saw what happened. It worked. The plan worked. Oh, we'll, we'll hold the Bengals. We'll get the ball back. We'll score a touchdown. And now all we need is the onside kick. But, but you can't pin your hopes on recovering an onside kick. I'd rather go for it fourth and five. That's my point. Okay. If I go for it and I keep this drive alive and I score, I don't have to rely on an onside kick. I can get a stop and get the ball back and try to tie the game. Versus, all right, we're going to give them the ball back. They're going to take some time off the clock. We only got one timeout. There isn't much we can do. We get the ball back. We have enough time to maybe get a touchdown, onside kick, field goal, overtime. Yeah, all makes sense. Except you ain't recovering the onside kick. So keep the freaking ball at fourth and five. Go all in there. It just makes me think Sean McVay and the Rams did not want to have it become 26 to nine. And just, it just, it feels like you got your ass kicked at 26 to nine. And they ended up with 19-16. Looks like a close game. Doesn't look bad. Almost covered the spread. And didn't even have to kick a meaningless field goal with four seconds left to do it. So I feel like there's a lot. And what a shock. Perception is reality in Los Angeles, where Hollywood is. I just feel like there was some of that fugazi. Let's try to bake a better final score versus let's try to win the game. And maybe they just thought there's no way we're going to win anyway. So this other strategy at least gives us a chance to keep it closer than letting the Bengals score another touchdown. I mean, I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole, but to me, I think that's the only explanation because pinning your hopes to an onside kick is foolish. Yeah, I, I, it, it is. It's tough this day and age. I mean, it is. You're right. It changes the dynamic. I, I, I don't look at it and go, it's an egregiously bad decision. You know, like I said, I, I can see the logic in it. Um, but like, yeah, I, it, it's, it's, it's like pretty, it's, it's, predicated on them making a quick stop, getting the ball and scoring or putting points on the board quickly, you know, and that, that's what it's predicated on. And, you know, Hey, the stop and get a turnover or whatever. I can understand your logic and wanting to ride the defense there. Now, you know, are we going to score quickly and do something off of that? That's a whole nother conversation, which we had seen that there was, you know, not, it wasn't very easy to do for the Rams there. So, yeah, I, you know, in modern-day football, I would have been like you, I think, when it comes down to it. I would have probably been like, yep, we've we got to go for it here. It's go time. Who cares if it's 26-9? to nine? And you try to make something happen because, yeah, like you were saying, with the way the, the onside kick rules are set up, it's really tough. Or here's the other thing that I was – kind of thinking too as they were getting along like when you okay you only have one timeout left and you're getting close to the two minute warning here's the other thing at times where okay you know the onside kick thing's a real issue like you're talking about kick a field goal uh, in, instead of wasting all the time to get down in, inside the five and do all that like sometimes I think you just go hey let's just knock three of the points off right now we'll kick the ball off we got the two minute warning we still got a timeout and we might get the ball back with a minute and 20 seconds left and then try to do something that was the other thing that came to my mind as I was watching the end of the game Mike hey 
that was part of the word salad that McVeigh offered up last week when he was finally asked about kicking a, meaning, a meaningless field goal that covered the spread against the 49ers. And that was one of our biggest stories of the week based upon traffic and video views and whatnot. The idea that they were down 10, the spread was 7.5, four seconds left, they kicked the field goal. He said, well, we were in the mindset that we were going to kick the field goal, do the onside kick, and try to score a touchdown. And I don't know, at some point his brain short-circuited and he decided to kick the field goal anyway when he knew there was no way to get the ball back. But that was part of the mindset. He was going to take the field goal. And, you know, Chris, that could have been the plan last night until they hit the long throw to Puka Nakua that sets them up first and goal on the doorstep. Because at that point, you just could have brought out Brett Maher and taken the three, right? Well, yeah. Instead of burning right. off more clock, take the three and onside kick it then. Well, this is where then I was thinking right here. Hinges. Uh, yes, right. This is that's where that was Go the ahead. moment I thought about when they went fourth and three and scrambled, and I went, huh. I might think about kicking the field goal there. If we could rewind it, guys, just real quick, if you don't mind, uh, to the, the play where he scrambles on fourth and three, a little bit more than this right here. There we go. This is perfect, right? So here, this is what it crossed my mind. Oh, okay. And I know this That's isn't easy. That's a 57-yarder, though. Well, he, he slid, he slid to the 30-yard line. That would have been a 47-yarder. No. Wait. So you meant so you meant right after The fourth that and play. three. Spike right. it, clock it. Clock no, it. Wait. You're saying... Hang on, hang on. You're saying after the fourth and three or before the fourth and three? No, after the fourth and three, yes. After the fourth and three, you got it. Now he slides with two minutes and 30-something seconds left, clock the ball, kick the field goal. Okay, I know it's, yeah, it's going to be a 48-yarder. It's not going to be easy. And then let's kick the ball off and use the two-minute warning and the timeout. See, right here, this is what I'm talking about, Mike. All right, so he slides to about the 32. That's where I I started to think about it. It'd be a 50-yarder. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that that makes sense. That that makes sense. But again, what does it all hinge on? Recovering an onside kick, which your organization hasn't done in 11 years, which no one has done successfully so far this season, because in the efforts to make the kickoff safer, they have made it harder to recover onside kicks. And fourth and 15 play. That's you know that these are moments where the fourth and 15. If you if you truly root for the team that's trailing to have a chance to win, which is which is what Roger Goodell admitted a decade ago. That's who he roots for, the team that's trailing. You come up with an easier way for that team to pull off what we're talking about. You're down 10. There isn't much time left. You're limited on timeouts. you got to get three, then seven, or seven, then three. The onside kick is not a good plank in that strategy. No, and you I can't, the, you can't think the, of the big uh, onside got the kick. Ball. You're right. Yeah. Yeah, you can't. But, but we still, we're still wired. Yeah, to think to that think, way. Oh, yeah, well, you can recover the onside kick. And then we look at the numbers. Well, but there's still a chance. There's still a chance. Maybe we'll recover it this time. And then they do the onside kick last night, and the thing didn't even – it did. It, it was like under what circumstances was that kick going to be recovered? And I know it's not easy to do, but when that's your only job and the kickers are just hanging around practice, wouldn't you be doing everything you could to perfect the onside kick? And maybe there's nothing you can do. Maybe that's the reality. You can't control this oblong ball that has a mind of its own. You just hope for the best. You hope you're going to get a good bounce. You hope it's going to carry them off someone's shoulder pads, and you're just going to get lucky. But it just kind of proves my point. You're pinning your hopes to luck. You're pinning your hopes to pulling a needle out of the haystack when you had the ball, fourth and five, six minutes left, and you could have maintained that drive, 
and you could have just kicked off, stopped the Bengals, if you were able to, like they did after they punted, get the ball back and try to tie it up or maybe even win the game. That, to me, is the more rational approach. And I can't help but wonder whether or not Sean McVay at some level was concerned about how 26-9 to would look versus, hey, maybe even if this doesn't fully work out, the final score will be 19-16, and that looks a little bit better. It doesn't look like I got my ass. I, 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 I don't think, I don't think so there. I, I don't I, – that's where I'm – There are I'm, coaches – there yeah. are coaches – I'm, there, you know there are coaches who are thinking, man. Well, damage control is a part of this. Yeah, score a touchdown. Yeah, damage yeah. control is is always a real thing. I don't think Sean McVay was thinking of that at that moment. I think well, he, he was, just made a bad decision. I think he, he made, made a bad, bad decision. decision. I think he should have kept possession. Again, I think he's thinking, yeah, we're I'm going to punt it. They're going to go three and out, and we're going to get the ball back in the next you know minute and a half. And uh, unfortunately for them, like three minutes or a little less than three minutes went off the clock. And yeah, that put them in a really well, tough they had spot. One timeout left. I know they only had one timeout. I, what are you yeah, going to do? No, they're going to run the it's, ball. It's, it's limited. Two, I think they were hoping the that maybe they could make a play, get them behind the chains, maybe get them to throw a pass on one of the plays to where they could create a completion and do it that way. I'm, I'm that that would be what what I would be guessing but, is their logic but, is. But that's again, it's tough. And then, it's all premised on recovering an onside kick. That's the point. We need to get past this idea that we're going to have an analytics-based strategy that hinges on recovering an onside kick because the onside kicks are not going to be recovered. Look at that thing. Well, Look but at that you, thing. But if they like get the stop and get it in quick. The middle of the night. If they, but if they get a stop and get something quick or somewhat quick and get points before the two-minute warning, he's thinking maybe I don't have to kick an onside kick and I got the two-minute warning yeah. and a timeout. But, yeah, happen. it's far-fetched. But also, what's what was bad on top he of that? He got the ball fourth and five. Keep the ball. That that we that we didn't hit on too is when they get down to the three yard line, you can't run the ball on first down either. That that was another part where you're going, what what the, the game's ticking away here. We, we you can't run the ball at all. They make the play tick, to Nakua, yeah, tick, and they tick, run tick. the ball up the middle. That was kind of egregiously wrong as well. But hey, the Rams they battle. We know that they played tough. They're not as good as the the Cincinnati Bengals. They're surprising me in the fact of how competitive they've been, really, in a, as a one and two football team. It's been impressive. It has, and uh, yeah, that certainly can be questioned. There's no doubt about it. In in 2023 football, in that situation, to all the things you laid out, and then of course the rules being the way they are, and how much they favor the offense and everything, anyways. Yeah, you go for it in that situation. 19-9, six minutes left. If you really want to have a think, you got a like a legit chance to win the football game with one timeout left. Yeah, I think you know what you're saying is still the right play. Even if they kick the field goal after that first down run by staff, yeah, it was going to require an onside kick recovery because they had no timeouts at that point. The two minute warning was, and I mean, maybe they would have gotten the goal back like the Raiders did the other night with ten seconds left or something like that. And what can you do with that? when the defense has already put the clamps on you. You're not going to go 80 yards in 10 seconds. But I'm looking at this now on the next play. And, you know, you got to have – you got to be getting your plays off faster than this. They get that first down and – They still had a timeout 20 there. 20 seconds until the next play. Yeah, they no, did. no, they'd already used the timeout. They No, they used the timeout after the third down on the Rams drive – excuse me, on the Bengals drive after the punt. They had to use the third timeout there – 
because the Bengals were milking the clock, right? No, I think no. Timeout they used the timeout number three when Joe Burrow kneeled at the first time at the end of the game. That was that was the first time. Okay, you're right. Yeah, they still right. had one. They well, had one. they could have used it then. Yeah. Because I'm looking at this, they they got they took a sack. Yeah. After Stafford scrambled for the first so time, that hurt it. Yeah. And that play started with 221. They did not get another playoff before the two minute warning, mm-hmm. and that it just they were they were they were trying to thread. Our point here is in belaboring this because look, these decisions are made. In the moment, in the crucible, real time. There's only so much you can plan for it ahead of time. But it just I I didn't see the path out of the maze. I hear you once there. they waved the white flag with six minutes left and punted when they still had the ball fourth down and five. You know, we have this revolution of going for it on fourth down because the analytics support this and support that. And we're still factoring into the broader approach to the game the possibility of recovering an onside kick, which doesn't work. It's broken. It doesn't work. Why are you relying upon that in your formulation of a strategy to come back and win? Forget about the onside kick. That's the last ditch. Break glass in event of emergency option, and the glass isn't going to break. And if it does, it's just a fluke. That's where it is. Recovering an onside kick at this point is a fluke, period. All right, let's take a break. There was another game last night that did not come down to an onside kick. The Philadelphia Eagles went down to Tampa Bay in a battle of unbeaten teams, and the Eagles looked the best they have all year long. We'll break down Eagles Bucks when PFT Live continues right after this. We're not going to be playing our best football until we get going into the season. We still got things to, to work on. We still got growth to do. Um, if you're truly in the mindset of getting better every day, right? If you're truly in that mindset of getting better every day, which I know, I know that we are it, it, on this team, you're going to continue to rise, and you're not, and you, you're going to keep getting better. And so, you know, are we playing our best offensive football right now? No, but we shouldn't be. We, we shouldn't be yet. Nick Sirianni, head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. The team had looked a little sluggish. They still won their first two games. Last night, they were not as sluggish, although there were moments where Jalen Hurts was not as sharp as the Jalen Hurts we saw last year. It didn't matter. They overpowered the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and won the game 25-11. There were only three unbeaten teams left through three weeks. How about that? It's crazy. Dolphins, 49ers, Eagles. That's it. Yeah. And – we're going to talk about this later in the program. I mean, everybody in New York is losing their minds about the Jets. There are 15 teams that are one and two or worse right now, and the Jets are one and two. So it could be worse, but not much worse. And most of the teams, not most, but almost half of the teams in the NFL are in that same boat. So yeah. only three, less than 10% of the entire league is undefeated, and the Eagles are one of them. And, and it does still feel like they've got work to do to get to where they were last year. Last year, they had that Team of Destiny vibe. This year, it's not quite there yet. But as Sirianni said, it's early in the season. You know, teams have surely game-planned ways to try to slow down Jalen Hurts. And the test is going to be how do they perform as the season continues to unfold, Chris. Yeah, that, that's right. And, and, hey, we can't forget one huge factor in all of this. That Shane Steichen moved on. And Shane Steichen is a hell of a coach, as we're seeing. He's 2-1 and one with the Colts. I mean, so that that's not easily replaced. I, I think that, you know, and, and Troy, Troy Aikman made that, that point last night, you know, that we can't forget that. The guy's a really good offensive mind. He's one of the best in football. 
So, you know, they got a new play caller there that's trying to find his way in his own formula, and he's learning on the fly of how he wants to tie plays together. It is an art form as far as calling plays like that. You know, we, we talk about it a lot, right? Just, hey, making things look the same that are different. The window dressing, how to play with the defense's mind and set something up. And, hey, here, look at this, look at this, look at this. Oh, we fake this, and then we do this. You know, I think they're finding their way that way. And, yeah, Jalen Hurts hasn't been his best through three weeks. But, damn, oh, damn, damn. I mean, are they the most physically imposing team that I can remember in a long time? You mean, yes. It's unbelievable what we watch with the Philadelphia Eagles on a weekly basis. It's, it's, they've surpassed the early 90 Cowboys and the fact that they can just go, we're going to run it, and we're going to run the same play, and we're just going to keep doing it and doing it and do it, and you know we're going to do it, and we're still going to kick your ass and blow you off the ball. And DeAndre Swift, you know, like Troy Aikman and Joe Buck were talking about it one night, he must have been like, holy crap, these holes are unbelievably big. I mean, I've never seen a team that can physically win the battle on both sides of the line of scrimmage to the extent the Philadelphia Eagles. The 49ers are up there with their D-line. We know their O-line's real good, but it's not like this O-line. This O-line literally can run the same three plays like all game long and go, so what? We know you know what running play we're going to run. We're still going to kick your ass. Uh, That's to me where the Eagles are really special. And when the game gets tough, they just physically whoop you and there's nothing you can do. And they basically whooped the the Bucks D into a corner who kind of held strong early on and kept them out of the end zone and did a good job, you know, not letting the, the the whole thing blow up there early on. But there's only so much you can do when your offense stinks and doesn't do well, and then you're on the field against that group, you know, every four plays like they were last night. I'm just amazed by the Eagles' physical dominance on both sides of the line of scrimmage. It's really impressive. It really is. 25 to 11 paints one picture, 472 yeah, right. yards to 174 paints. That's a, very a better picture. Right. It's amazing. It was as close as it was. The Buccaneers kind of got things going and had that late touchdown drive. You take that away, and it really was a blowout. And many thought, and I thought, the Bucs would keep it close. The Eagles had just been like something was missing. Yep. You know, they they let the, the Patriots hang around after they got up by two scores. The Vikings, they let them hang around after the Eagles got up by two scores. And... You know, you you learn. We have to have that killer instinct. We have to slam the door. We have to make it decisive so there is no opportunity for the team that we are better than to come back and try to beat us. And as you said, this is a continuation of a very favorable early season schedule that allows them to kind of work their way toward full speed ahead and get themselves ready for the meat of the schedule, which is coming later. They can keep piling up win after win after win, and they're going to need it because the Cowboys are better, notwithstanding what they did on Sunday in Arizona, and the 49ers are the team that I think the Eagles need to be eyeballing That's as right. the biggest threat to whatever they hope to do this year. And there you see back-to-back weeks, 49ers and Cowboys with that Cowboys Got the Dolphins of Week 7 on, on NBC, yeah, on Sunday Night Football, too. That's going to be a dandy. Well, that's, yeah, that, hey, 
hey, that one, you know, that one is getting better and better with each passing week. We've got Cowboys 49ers week five, and then we've got that one week seven. There's a couple of really good ones coming up where we're going to find out what these teams are all about. So uh, we're finding out that the Eagles are still the team they were last year. It's just taken them a little while to get there. That physicality, though, shines through both sides of the ball. Jalen Carter had a big night last night on defense. Yep. The the defense was just smothering. I mean, the the safety where they just completely devoured Rashad White, like he didn't even have a chance to get out of the end zone. Usually you see an NFL offense, when you get in that position and they run the ball, 99 out of 100 times the guy gets out of the end zone. He didn't even have a chance. If the line was a yard or two back, he's not getting out. They were all over him. They are as impressive as any team I can remember in the history of football. I'm, I'm not saying that, like, lightly. I'm, I'm really not. You know me. I, they are as impressive up front on both sides of the ball as some of the all-time great football teams. That, 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 that's just how I feel. And I, I think we see it. We saw what we did, they did last year. They're seeing what they're doing here this year. I mean... You know me, I like legs and butts, and I mean, they're the kings of legs and butts. They got more legs and butts coming into the game on the defensive line. Like, oh, look at these four. Holy crap. Look at this. God, the football God built them in a lab. Whoa, look at the next four. Another God built them in a lab. I mean, it's just, it's, it's incredible. And then you couple that with the offensive line, but you're right. You don't see that happen much like that, where it's just like, wait, you, usually it's like, Ooh, did he get out of the end zone or did he not? It's close. I'm not sure. I mean, it was a mauling there. And it was a mauling throughout the game on both sides. And that's where they are really special. And they put you in a tough spot on both sides, too, because you really got a game plan to go, wait, we got to stop from being overpowered up here. And then, of course, that compromises you in all the other areas. And that's where there's such a tough matchup. And that team is about as perfectly built as you're going to see a team in the salary cap era, and that's, you know, goes credit to Howie Roseman. It is amazing, but it gets overlooked. When an offense is performing well, you focus on, just like we did with the Dolphins, four touchdowns from Raheem Mostert, four touchdowns from Devon A-Chain, although we, A-Chain. A-Chain. I saw a note yesterday. There's a change in the pronunciation. There's a new pronunciation for A-Chain. Once we all figured out it's A-Chain, and we spent a lot of time in the studio on Sunday making sure everybody knew it was A-Chain. There's a different, and I have to figure out exactly what it is, but I saw the note yesterday that he's got a new, he's got a new, uh, which is fine. We want to respect that. We want to know what it is. But once we figured out A-Chain, the goalposts moved. Anyway, anyway, we focus on those guys who score all the touchdowns, the quarterback that does the great things, but it's the offensive line that sets the stage for it. We're going to talk again about the Jets coming up. When you don't have an offensive line, everything goes to hell. And so that's the way football's always been. The offensive linemen go out there and they kick ass and nobody notices because everybody's noticing the work of all the other guys who benefit from the fact that the offensive line is kicking ass. Now, yeah, I do want to raise one thing about the quarterback push play. Peter and I talked about this 10 days ago, the day after the Vikings-Eagles game, where it's just automatic. They take advantage of the rule. It took 16 years for the unintended consequence to come to fruition. They allowed pushing players in 2006 because there used to be a rule against pushing and pulling. It was never 
enforced, even though there were constantly down, not constantly, but you'd see linemen come running down the field and just kind of shove everybody another yard or two at the end of a play. Eagles realize after 16 years, we can incorporate that into our basic strategy and build a quarterback sneak and enhance quarterback sneak around it because we'll just shove the guy through. Watch the third. If we have the one before that, Dallas Goddard is crossing the line from pushing to pulling. I noticed that on the third down play. He kind of wanted to maybe do it if necessary on the fourth down play, but the play before that when they tried to do it, I assume this is just the fourth down play over and over again, yeah. which isn't showing what I wanted to show, but it's on me because I didn't, I didn't ask for it. I didn't ask for it ahead of time. On the third down play, you can see he's got his arms under Hertz and he's kind of doing like a yeah, wrestling right. move. I remember it. The top. That, that's a foul. That's a foul. They that's don't pulling, care. not pushing. They it's 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 well, touchdown. I know they it's don't care. Points. It's 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 everything. The NFL doesn't care. That's what. But we're... why didn't they? Why, but isn't it amazing? Usually, when you got a, a rule like that, everybody's doing it. When you have one team that's exploiting it, and no one else is either bothered or is willing to risk their. I don't know what it is. I don't know well, why no one else is doing it. I I know a few others have tried. Yeah, there's a few. But you think there would yeah. be 24 owners who would say? But you would think there would be 24. I mean, nine aren't doing it. So you do the math. Yeah. 24 teams aren't doing it. Why don't they band together and say, let's get this thing the hell out of the game? It looks bad. It's not really football. And the only people who are loudly supporting it are Eagles fans. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, you know, it's unfortunately something that you talk about all the time. It's going to take somebody getting folded up and breaking a leg and doing all that until they finally realize this is not safe, right? This is not right. It's not. Or it's going to take... And act like we didn't know. We yeah. didn't know. We oh, didn't know. We didn't know. What do you mean? We you didn't did know. know. We, 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 you, you try to stop these things from happening on special teams plays and all that where too many people are lined up over one guy or whatever else. We, we do know. So they, 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 that's what they'll try to say, but they know. And then... You know, the other thing that's going to stop it is, and which is like, if I was a defensive coach, I'd be going with, go ahead hunting on the quarterback here. Go ahead. Let him have it. Dive over. Go crazy. Try to kill the quarterback. That's what I would do. Okay. That's, I know. I don't mean it first like of that. All, yeah. I didn't say that. No, I did, but I, I didn't say that. First but, of all, but here, second of all, that's not what Chris means. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I don't mean kill, but I mean, just you, make them pay, make them think twice about doing it. But the other aspect that is like, yeah, there's some teams doing it, Mike, but it's like they can't do it like them because of what we're talking about. It is, it's the Cowboys of 92 here and then some. So there's, they have a team that has a true advantage in this department as compared to everybody else where I don't think everybody else in football can just line up and do that to the capacity in which they do. And then you have Jalen Hurts who's got a little more power than your normal quarterback on top of that. Nick Sirianni addressed this over the weekend in a press conference. We get these transcript in, transcripts in excuse me, and I skim them to see what stands out. And that caught my eye because – you know, his point is they don't even always push Jalen Hurts. No. It is basically a quarterback sneak with that enhancement if necessary, and sometimes he just slips through the crack. But what Sirianni said, and he rattled off the names of all his linemen, when you have this guy, when you have this guy, when you have this guy, that's, you know, that's why it works for us because others have tried and it, you know, it hasn't been as successful as the Eagles do it. And it's almost like it's become – a reputation play for the Eagles. Yeah. They had that one they tried during the game 
where it was clearly short. But this can't be short. It always works. They gave him the first down. And good luck overturning it on replay review. You can never have clear and obvious evidence overturn the spot of the ball at a scrum of bodies like that. And so, yeah, hey, it always works. Let's give him the first down. Because when I saw the play, I thought, oh, they finally stopped it. It's like, what the hell? They're giving him the first down. Well, good luck overturning that one. Yeah. So everybody thinks it works. It does work. And nobody else has the horses to pull it off. And it starts with the offensive line. You need to have the quarterback. But these other teams that, that, that have that should at least consider it. But the other side of it is it is open season on the quarterback. And we don't mean that anyone should try to deliberately injure the quarterback. But when you forfeit all of the rules that apply to the protection of the quarterback, when you become a runner, there's only one rule that applies. You can't lower your head and initiate forcible contact with the quarterback. You can otherwise hit the quarterback anywhere. Forearm to the head, go low, go high. As long as you don't lower your helmet to initiate forcible contact, it's fine. And one of these days, one of these days, a defense is going to come up with a way to take advantage of those rules and attack one of these plays like that, and the quarterback's going to get injured, and that team is going to think twice about doing it going forward, and it's going to be fuel for the NFL to get it out of the rule book. I'm, I'm surprised they didn't get rid of it after last year. I really am surprised. They're so worried about unintended consequences. I think it paralyzes them when there's something that it's obvious they need to do. They get all twisted up about what the unintended consequence is going to be. Instead of sitting down and talking it through with a room full of football people who can help you understand what the unintended consequence is going to be. This goes back to your point. When you got a bunch of non-football people making these rules, they can't figure out what the unintended consequences are going to be because they're in, in no position to imagine no, what they they've are. they've never been around the game enough to know and think about the things that could happen or, ooh, I saw this happen once at a practice or saw it in a game or whatever. And exactly right. And we got people that have none of those experiences going, hey, I, I might have figured it out for the league, even though I you know, don't know it. And that's where that, that's got to change. There's a disconnect there. That's something wrong in football right now, for sure. You know, but yeah, the Eagles are great. They're ta- hey, and if it ain't against the rules, I'd be like them too. I'd be doing that damn thing all the time as well. I understand it. You know, but we saw we saw the Patriots master this for a while. The quarterback sneak with Brady because there is a little bit of a skill from the quarterback and the guard and the center and and even the tackles and how they do it. That, that there's a coachable skill to that and what they're doing on the offensive line. And the Eagles got it down. Let alone they got you know, the horses up front to make it happen. And that's where it's impressive. And then, you know, and, and, and really you look at it and go, what defenses in football could really stop it? Their own. And maybe the 49ers. That's like the only two teams you look at to go, okay, well they maybe have a chance. Other than that, nobody else is going to be able to stop that crew and what they want to do in those situations. Here's the play I was talking about earlier, which I didn't ask for. It is on me that we didn't have it earlier. But thanks to the control room, we have it. Now, watch Goddard. Watch him. See that? Arms yeah, he's up trying. The, the, he's the trying. shoulder pads. That's pulling. That's, that is a foul. And so, you know, this week when Troy Vincent and company send out their video and their memo to the officials, they need to point out when Goddard does that, it's a foul. That's not pushing. That's pulling. That's a foul. And they need to call it, period. I mean, that's what the line is. You can push, but you can't pull. So if they're going to start pulling Jalen Hurts over the top, that's when they cross the line, and it needs to be called. And, and you know, maybe it's going to take more than one game for it to happen or more than one hack 
sounding off on it like me to get their attention. But as soon as I saw that last night, that's pulling, not pushing. Yeah, no, I, I, that, that, that's, it's definitely borderline there. But again, that's one where it's like the NFL. I don't think they're going to stop it unless it's like crazy egregious. I really don't. It, that's where the offense seems to get favored. Definitely. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was Except a dominant, when it's Juwan Taylor. It was a dominant. Yeah, it was a dominant performance. They're, they are some damn team. They really are. And they're tough and they're me- you know, mentally tough. They are. And then you throw on top of you get under the defensive side of the ball and you go, damn, are you kidding me? They got Jalen Carter at pick nine. What? I mean, Jalen Carter's he's arguably the be- he's the best defensive player on their team already. He's the best defensive player on the field already, I think. That's what we're getting to. I mean, look at these plays that he busts through the line of scrimmage and push the pocket. I mean, he's taking 300-pound linemen and just going, now I'm going to take you right back to the quarterback, no problem. And then the next play, he can win with athleticism and hustle. So it's just incredible what the Eagles got, you know, on both sides of the ball. And then you add on Nolan Smith, who they got the end of the first round, and he had a few plays last night. You know, the Bucks couldn't run the ball. They had some chances early on, Mike. You know, that, that was their chances. M- Mike Evans dropped some passes early on, you know, early on in the football game that hurt them. It just took too long for them to get going. And it just it's it's when you play the Eagles, you gotta be functioning at your best and at a very high level if you think you want to compete with that group. Let's talk about Jalen Carter just for a second. Yeah. Because we all knew the guy was going to be great. These red flags were out there. And I'm not condoning in any way, shape, or form what he did. The drag racing, the speeding. He was involved in the incident that resulted in two people dying. Right. Had charges. That all hit when we were at the scouting combine. There was this nagging question of, does he love football? Will he show up and play every week? All that stuff we hear from time to time. Yep. Eight teams had a shot at him. <laughs> yeah. Anyone else could have offered the Bears more than what the Eagles did to flip-flop 9 and 10. Because the Eagles at least realized, you know what? We better go ahead and do not even take the chance. Right. Because, right. because somebody else may be thinking, yeah, this is nuts. This guy's special. This guy's potentially dominant. Is it as simple as, because I think a lot of this happens when it comes to the draft. You're thinking, I really don't want to have to go sit in the owner's office and explain why we pissed away a top 10 pick on a guy who had these red flags and they came to fruition. So you need someone like Howie Roseman who has full and complete equity and credibility with the owner where he can get away with it. And if it turns out that Jalen Carter ends up being a bust, we at least did it consciously, and I'm not concerned that it's going to get me fired if I'm wrong. I think so many of these teams that have those high picks, and there's a guy there, and there's a red flag, you have people who are afraid that if the red flag starts flying, then the owner starts firing people, so we're just not going to we're not going to yeah. do it. Yeah. Whereas I think now you're going to have some of these owners yeah. of some of these teams that are in the top ten right. saying, what the f- <laughs> what was wrong with you? Right. What the hell? Right. Why didn't? Oh well, we don't. Well, we have this and this. But I, hey, they, look, I encourage open debate here, and you got to bring this to me, and you got to make this case. I gotta know. Look, I gotta balance this out. If I'm trading, you know, the opportunity to have generational talent 
against the possibility that he's not going to work out. I need to get a sense of how generational this talent's going to be before I say don't do it. So you're going to have some owners, I think, that are going back to their executives saying, why did you not stand on the table and jump up and down that I should go get Jalen Carter yeah. with this top 10 yeah. pick that we had? Yeah, I think you're – you know, you're, you're the, the first thing you said there, right? The, like the cachet, right? And that, that's Howie Roseman has that, right? He's, he's got a, a lot of great picks, so he's granted a little bit more leash by the owner to make decisions like that. And then I think when you add on top of it going, wait, you know, and if it doesn't work out, oh, I still got seven other all-stars on my defensive line, so we'll be okay. So they could afford to kind of take that gamble. Where I think it fell right for them is one, yes, yeah, some of the horror stories, and then you had teams in front of them in this year that they that risk they they could they needed a guy that they knew was going to work or were going to work and and we can't we can't risk you know the off the field is he going to play hard type of stuff and they got lucky that way you know but as you heard me say very early on in the draft process right I mean he's the he was the best player in the draft. And, and that's where, you know, like you're saying right now, the owners are going to be a little bit, some of these owners are going to be like, damn, how did, how did we, you know, not think about that more seriously, whatever it may be. But he's phenomenal. He's like a, he's a new age Warren Sapp to me. That's what I, I feel like I'm looking at. Like, it's like Warren Sapp evolution 25 years later. He's a little bigger, a little more powerful, right? And has that athletic ability and the bendability and it's truly it's special. And then when you couple that with all the damn players they got there on that football team, like holy crap, it's it's a really good defensive line. I'm looking at the picks ahead of Jalen Carter, and we don't know how these guys are going to work out. They all may be superstars, we don't know. But here's the, <laughs> I, I'm sorry to I'm sorry to pile on the Bears after they've had one of the worst weeks we've ever seen. Why didn't they just take him at nine? Well, that's why didn't they just take him? That 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 is a course. I mean, yeah, uh, they don't have a they don't get whatever the Eagles gave him to flip flop. Take Jalen Carter at nine. I know. I you know I think there was pressure of the O line, and I'm guessing the just the they're not sure about the character of Jalen Carter. But yes, I mean you look at them and go. That, that is a team that is in desperate need of a, a difference maker on the D-line. You know, and, and again, hey, who knows? Maybe it wouldn't have worked out quite the same way at all the other places. Like we said during the draft process, True. the Eagles, the right, right with the Georgia guys, the environment, Fletcher Cox. It's, he's got a lot of things there to push him in the right direction. And, of course, that helped Howie Roseman sell that to ownership or whoever he needed to, you know, to make this work, too. It's pretty good, though, when a luxury pick ends up becoming a foundational piece of your team. It's unbelievable. For years to come. Yes. We're going to take a break. Three weeks in, some teams are not hiding their frustrations with their slow starts. Who can turn it around? We'll discuss that next here on PFT Live. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. 
The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.